Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast, where we teach doctrine from God's Word. We're glad that you've joined us for the podcast. However, there is no substitute for being a part of a local body of believers. If you don't have a church home, visit us at restorationhcn.org to see if there's a house church or other faithful Bible-believing church near you. For now, here's this week's message. Uh, Humanity has fallen. We were created in God's image uh, to be good. Uh, that there was, God called his creation good. There is a wonderful thing we were designed to obey God and bring him glory as we have dominion over the earth. But we sinned and separated ourselves from God. And as a result, we have brought death into the world. Um, Man is separated from God under God's wrath and deserving of eternal punishment. We also see that Jesus came to earth, became, uh, became a man, fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life, died to pay for us and dead on the cross so that we could be saved. And then he gives us salvation as a free gift when we repent and believe. And then ultimately, Christ is restoring us back to God. And this is important. That as we're restored back to him, we are freed from the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin. We're restored back into relationship with him. But scripture talks about salvation in about three different points. We see justification, that is our sin that is paid. We see sanctification, that's where we're, we're becoming more like Christ. And then ultimately glorification, where even the physical effects of sin on our bodies are taken away. And that's, of course, happens in eternity. So hopefully you're seeing some theme. God's created us in his image. He's created us good. Sin has wrecked that. But through the gospel, he's restoring us back into relationship. And ultimately, this means new creation. In eternity, it means that even our bodies are, and I won't even necessarily want to use the word restoration always. The idea is that we're made new to something even better than before. But if you guys can just think about this, when we're talking about humanity, we need to understand this in context of the gospel, this creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Of course, redemption is actually the good news of the gospel. The rest is very clear context. Um, Everybody with me? Cool. Um, So in that case, I'm going to ask this question. Uh, Some of you all are going through the New City Catechism. A lot of the kids I know are. And so when we're teaching theology of humanity, why not go to uh, this key tool that we've been using? So question four of the New City Catechism is how and why did God create us? And I know that a lot of you are on on mute, but could I get the kids especially to answer with me? So how and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his image to glorify God. Um, By the way, quick side note plug for New City Catechism. It's based on the Westminster Confession. It is a great way to use question and answer to teach doctrine to kids. It's based in scripture. Really good. Highly recommended. So if we're understanding here this very first thing, we need to understand we're talking about humanity. We need to understand that the purpose in our creation was that we would glorify God. And as we know, the, the very first sin in the garden was related to man wanting to be like God. And throughout all of, of history, humanity has had a desire to establish himself as something other than what he is, to try to rival God for glory. We see it in the Tower of Babel. We see it in really every sin in the human heart is me rebelling against God and trying to say, no, I want to do it my way and forgetting or ignoring or resisting the fact that all of this is for God's glory. And so let's just see humanity in the right context. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him, that is Jesus, 
All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Uh, This is a very clear communication that all of this, all of creation, including and maybe especially humanity, are here for God's glory. And so he gets even more specific in Isaiah 43. It says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. There's this language that those who are redeemed are ones who specifically are bringing glory to God through their redemption. We also see in Romans 9, 17, it says, for scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. I don't know if you catch that in Romans 9. God is actually saying that this wicked ruler, Pharaoh, was allowed to come into power so that God could show his power in destroying him. And so we see this theme in Scripture. Every human is going to bring God glory, either through their redemption as God saves them when they repent and believe, or if they remain in rebellion through their destruction, God is going to get glory. This should be pretty sobering, because we haven't even gotten to our main text yet, but we're looking at this, this whole idea that throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of history, God's plan has been for humanity to bring Him glory through their existence. He specifically wants to get glory through our redemption In fact, in Romans, it talks about his righteousness is revealed in the work of the gospel. But he also will get glory in judging evil with his wrath. That's a sobering reality that we need to keep in mind as we continue to look at what God says about man. So, some key implications here. Uh, The fact that God has created all things for his glory, including us, it means that God owns his creation. He owns us. He owns you. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. And subsequently, he can do what he wants with us. Uh, Romans 9, 20 says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What is, will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Um, ultimately, it is God's plan. He gets to do whatever he wants with us. And yet, he has chosen to give himself glory and redeeming those who did not deserve it. Uh, of course, we've already talked about Isaiah 43 and Romans 9 on this. Um, hopefully, this hopefully, this is giving us the right idea. So as we come to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we're keeping in mind that all of this is about God's glory. So let's read. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, I want you to just take note. In this little section here, God mentions his image and likeness four different times, as if he's really trying to reiterate this idea that there is something about humanity that is unique, that is distinct, that is important because we are created in God's likeness. It mentions briefly the dominion we're supposed to have over the earth, which we're going to talk about um, in another first Sunday, but he seems to quadruple reiterate this idea of likeness. And so the question that can, then comes up is like, all right, so what, 
What does it mean that we're created in the image of God? And there is a variety of debates on this. Actually, one of my theology classes, this is part of the, the discussion group, is they, they have to decide, all right, so what does it mean to be formed in the image of God? And so I feel like the first thing we need to do is kind of acknowledge what this isn't. Uh, first of all, being created in the image of God is not necessarily directly a physical thing. Um, God is spirit, and so whatever it is that is about us that is that is reflective of God's image, it isn't that we physically necessarily look like God. It's not some physical trait. With that in mind, though, we have to acknowledge that God created us with bodies and that as such, there's something about our being that involves physicality. And so we shouldn't just throw that out. We should acknowledge that like, okay, so my being in the image of God is not about me being physical, but I can't necessarily throw out my body and say that that has nothing to do with being a human, right? Um, the other thing we need to acknowledge is that this does not mean we're little gods. There are some in the New Age movement or in Mormons, of course, uh, or the prosperity gospel movement that teaches that somehow we're descendants of God and thus have uh, some form of deity. Uh, Kenneth Copeland has taught this. A lot of the other uh, health and wealth prosperity teachers have taught this. It's heresy. Um, you, you cannot equate the fact that God created us in his image with us somehow being physical descendants of God. It's just not what scripture teaches. They'll usually try to base this idea on some idea that like, well, um, everything produce, reproduces after its kind. And they leave out the fact that that's only for created things reproduce after its kind. God is distinct from his creation. He has created us in his image. Um, he has not begotten us in the same way that he has begotten the son, Jesus Christ, of course, part of the Trinity three and one. Anyway, um, just very important to recognize we're not gods. We're, we're reflectors of gods. We're created in his image, but we are not gods. So please don't let anybody teach you that. Uh, another thing that's popped up is this idea that like somehow the image of God is something functional that somehow um, somewhere along the line in kind of in liberal groups, they came to the idea that like, well, maybe through evolution, we've kind of like achieved some abilities that now that's the image of God. Well, that's not really in scripture at all. Others have come along and said, like, well, maybe this has to do with, like, an emotional or relational experience that we have, and that's when we become the image of God. Um, I don't think that fits, and here's why. Because in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the language is that God makes us in his image. Before we have done anything, before we've had any experiences, before we have any function to fulfill, there's something about being in the image of God that is tied to our being. It's how God made us. It's not an experience. It's not a, uh, a mystical thing. It's not you, something you come into. It's not something that, that you, you're able to have based on your abilities or your merit. No, it's simply how God made you. You are created in the image of God, whether you accomplish anything, whether you are smart or not smart, regardless, you are created in the image of God. Critical. Um, what I would maybe say, without going into too much speculation here, because God doesn't give us a whole lot of detail of like, here's what it means that you're in my image. But we do see some things in Scripture as we just finished studying that whole series on the attributes of God. Um, you guys might remember we separated the attributes of God into communicable and incommunicable attributes. Incommunicable were those things that are about God and no one else. But then communicable were those things that God has in perfection or, or infinitely, 
And yet we have some finite reflection of like knowledge, like wisdom, like uh, love and justice, like creativity. All of those things we can say are, are attributes of God that humans have some finite reflection of. Those are communicable attributes. So scholars will speculate, and it's only mild speculation to say, if those things are distinct about humans apart from other beings in the universe and that reflect something about God, we could say, well, probably those things seem to have something to do with being created in the image of God, and it is part of how we bring him glory with our existence. So we might say, you know, we have language and creativity, that there's something unique about humans our, uh, in, in our, our ability to communicate with words. Um, we have written language. We have art. We have beauty. We have music. We do these things that other beings don't do that seem to be tied to how God has made us uniquely. We have a concern for things like justice and mercy. Um, we have things like that, that, that where we don't like what's going wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that's perfect, but we have some sense within us. We have the capacity for love and holiness. We have a desire for immortality. We want freedom. There is something in these things that I would say we, we can look at and say it seems that these things somehow are ways in which we are in the image of God. But we got a problem here because we recognize that God created humans, male and female, in his image for his glory but that sin has had a very terrible, devastating effect on the image of God. We're still in the image, but man, there's something wrong. If, if we have love and justice and mercy and these attributes of, of God that he has put in us in some finite way, and yet we have to acknowledge that I am not perfectly just. I, I have some sense of it. I have some, but man, I am a wretched sinner. I, I have intellect. God has given me the ability to know, but man, my knowledge is messed up by the fall. My mind does not always work right. And so the effects of sin and bringing death and destruction into the world, our sin has brought about terrible things for the image of God. Very important that we still point out. Genesis 9, 6 talks about murder being wrong because of it damaging or because it's, it's a destruction of the image of God. I think it's very important to recognize that just because the image of God has been damaged by sin does not mean that we are no longer in the image of God. We are very much still in the image of God. You are still an image bearer. And yet there's damage to that image. And this is why we, one of the reasons we point out that salvation in Christ involves being formed in the image of Christ. There is something that happens in salvation where I am no longer under the headship of the first Adam. I am under the headship of the second Adam, that being Christ. And I'm being formed into his image, that God is doing a work in this new creation to bring about wholeness. Um, normally, if we were all together, I would be like, any questions at this point? I recognize we're teaching some theology here. We're not doing always a traditional sermon. But if we can just kind of understand it, there's, there's incredible implications as a result of this. First of all, murder and abortion is, is evil because of the image of God. Genesis 9, 6 says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his image. Um, we can talk about all the things that James 2 talks about, not showing favoritism to others, which kind of rules out tribalism and racism and classism and any other ism of that nature. 
Um, James 3.9 says, with, uh, he's talking about our tongue, and he says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. And he's essentially saying this shouldn't be. Even the sin of slander is tied to the reality that humans are created in the image of God. Uh, Deuteronomy, and Ex- uh, Deuteronomy 22, Exodus 20, Matthew 5, 2 Timothy 3 goes in into all these things that are sinful and wicked, things like rape and lust and adultery and all these things that are sinful because there is something we are doing to a fellow image bearer that is wrong. Similarly, 1 Corinthians 6.9, Leviticus 18.22 gets into how homosexuality and sexual immorality of any kind is sin because it is an attack on the image of God as he has created us male and female. Uh, without going into great detail, what I'm hoping for us to see here is that the image of God and understanding that every human is made by God for his glory, that anything we do that attacks that image or damages that image or, or deviates from God's plan for the image is sin. And God seems to hold the image of God in high, high regard. And so we've got to pay attention as image bearers on how we treat others and how we give dignity for the sake of God's glory, not for the sake of man's glory. How interesting then, if you look at the law of God, and again, I'm not going to do this exhaustively, how often there is a reference to even those who are maybe seen as less than getting dignity and care and respect because they're image bearers of God. Leviticus 19.32 says, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. The idea is that this elderly person is still created in God's image and deserves dignity as a result. There's language in Proverbs and Matthew of caring for the, un, or for the infirmed. Exodus 21 and others talk about caring for the unborn. Uh, Leviticus 19.32 says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. More language of treat this person who is not like you as yourself because you're both creating the image of God. And oh, by the way, you were strangers in the land of Egypt as well. Uh, Leviticus 19.9 gives instructions on caring for the poor specifically as it relates to how you harvest your food and leaving room for those who do not have food to come and harvest on the edges of your garden or your vineyard. Leviticus 19.14 says, You shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. Again and again and again, the language of Scripture, including the last half of the Ten Commandments, Commandments 5 through 10, you'll point out, all refer to how we are to care for other image bearers, not committing adultery, honoring father and mother, not murdering, not stealing, not coveting, not lying. These all have to do with how we treat our fellow image bearers. It is no accident then that when we look to what God has done in communicating the two great commandments of loving God and loving others, he seems to tie this image bearer care and how we live with our fellow image bearers as how we are respecting the image of God. We can even point out um, in Proverbs, it talks about how if I am hating God, I am going to love death. 
And this language again and again comes up that for that person who does not love God, he will also hate the image bearers of God. And so what I'm hoping to do in this, as we're reviewing this study very briefly um, and kind of setting up what we're going to talk about in future weeks, that we as believers don't fall into this very common trap of, of talking about justice or talking about care for others in culturally defined terms. Uh, you guys have probably seen during the riots and during the follow-up from all of the police abuse and people abuse and everything else, that there's so much language on what might be fair, what might not be fair. And very seldom has anybody come to the table and said the reason why uh, a police officer kneeling on the neck of another man until he dies is wrong. It's because that man is created in the image of God. Uh, the reason why rioting and breaking the windows of, of a storefront is wrong is because that store owner is created in the image of God. Uh, the reason why slander is wrong is because that person that you're slandering is created in the image of God. And he is getting glory one way or the other in that person's life. And I should treat that person with the dignity that is deserved for an image bearer, not because they have merit in their life, not because that they've done something in their life, but as a matter of who created them and why I should give dignity, because in doing so, I am giving glory to the creator. And so as we're, we're, we're kind of coming to a close here, I want us to pay very close attention. I am grieved at how many believers seem to be allowing the culture to define what is right and what is wrong and why. And it is going very, very poorly. Uh, There's no question that the language of our culture is failing to fix any issue related to anything uh, as it relates to the image of God. Obviously, racism is the big thing that's being dealt with right now, and it is being dealt with with such failure. So, brothers and sisters, could we just keep coming back to the issue of that person has dignity because he's created in the image of God? Nobody else has that. Nobody else has any reason to bring about why something is wrong. And we get to come to the table and say, because he's creating God's image. Because God's word has said that person has dignity regardless of their situation. The police officer has dignity because he is created in the image of God. Uh, the black man has dignity because he is created in the image of God. The suburban house, housewife has dignity because she's created in the image of God. The, uh, the unborn child uh, deserves protection and dignity because they're created in the image of God. Um, image bearers. Uh, so hopefully we're setting this up a little bit in the, in the coming months, uh, next couple of first Sundays, I want to get into, okay, so what does it mean that man and woman being created in the image of God? Why does he specifically say that? Why is our, why is the gender of male and female so important in this, uh, biblical revelation of the image of God? Um, why then do these other things stand out as so important? What, what effect has sin on the image of God? We referenced that a little bit already. But most importantly then, what effect does the gospel have on the image of God? And um, as we see in the gospel, God is redeeming back his creation for the sake of his glory. He is restoring us to what we were meant to be from the beginning. Um, and he's doing it for his glory through redemption in Christ. Jesus paid our sin debt. He rose from the dead. And through repentance and faith, 
we're restored back into this new creation. So um, I'm going to pray. And then if there's comments, I realize we've covered something very, very brief here. But if there's comments or questions, we can take them. Um, so, Lord, thank you. Uh, as always, I recognize that um, my delivery of your word and of the theological implications of it is meager, uh, especially, especially over Zoom. Lord, it's just not the same. And um, I feel like I'm not able to do uh, fully what I'm gifted to do over Zoom. Um, and so, Lord, I ask that you would add to what has been shared uh, the work of your Holy Spirit, that there would be insight that you would give and understanding um, as we seek to obey your word and apply it. Uh, Lord, may we not fall into the trap of, of trying to communicate an important thing from anything other than your word. Lord, may we clearly teach uh, the fact that humans have dignity because they're created in the image of God, but then may we very quickly move to the gospel reality that every one of those humans, other than Jesus, has sinned and separated themselves from God. And that it is only by the atoning death and resurrection of Christ through repentance and faith that we're restored back to God. Lord, may we not get caught up in all of the mess and all of the discussion about critical race theory and what justice is and, and what law is going to fix this. Lord, may we be relentless in our communication of the gospel. May we bring everything to the gospel. Uh, the discussions about value of humanity, discussions about sin and brokenness, discussions about hope, may they all be back to the gospel. So we ask that you would receive glory. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Restoration Church Podcast. 